2: Get yours in Coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store.
3: Welcome, everyone, to the Sports Illustrated Media Podcast. I'm your host, Jimmy Train. A huge episode today, so I'm going to keep it short here on the intro. First up, Ryan Rosillo from The Ringer. Uh, Great conversation with Ryan. We're all over the place, but we covered uh, the little uh, controversy he got in last year. Uh, doing a pop with Bill Simmons after the George Floyd uh, verdict and what went on in the country. And then Ryan got in some, got some heat for that. So he, for the first time speaks about that experience, talked about some sports stuff, some media things, um, you know, leaving ESPN for the ringer. Great uh, conversation with Ryan. Who's very open. So um, I appreciated that. And then following Ryan, Brian Baumgartner who played Kevin Malone on the office is on the pod and uh, it's a very fun conversation as well if you're a fan of the show. Um, if you missed last week, John O'Ran from Sports Business Journal and Akib Talib were on the pod. They were both great. John breaking down some sports media news, Talib talking about getting into broadcasting. Adnan Verk two weeks ago was on the pod, so check those out if you missed them. And please subscribe to the SI Media Podcast. And if you can rate and review, that helps too, but subscription is the most important thing. So if you're not a subscriber, please do that. All right, here we go with Ryan Rossillo, followed by Brian Baumgartner. All right, joining me now, it's been way too long, since September of 2019, back on the SI Media Podcast, one of the most popular sports media figures out there now at the Ringer, Ryan Russillo. Ryan, how's it going? Hey, thanks for having me on, man. Appreciate it. Now, you're out there in sunny California, rocking the tank top. What's the temperature there?
4: (laughs) Because it's gray and raining and about 50 here right now in New York. Uh, Where I live, it's, it's almost always 71 degrees, a little hazy. But uh, I'm not gonna nice. complain. Yeah, I've uh, just got done from uh, a little boxing. Workout, but you, so.
3: you are from the East
4: Coast. Do you ever miss a winter? Winter would be um, would be strong. <laughs> yeah, I, I never was one of those guys that like hated New England. I mean, I lived in. Connecticut, Massachusetts, Vermont, Massachusetts, Connecticut again. So that was it until 42 years old, I think. The first 42 years of my life. The only time I ever lived outside of New England was a six-month stint in Trenton, Princeton area, South Jersey there, south of, I don't know, is that Route 1, I think? Yeah.
0: I I just can't
3: imagine having a Christmas when it's, you know, 75 degrees and sunny. That part's
4: weird, definitely. And I'd say the part that I miss um, is that, you don't understand it unless you're from the northeast but that smell of a fall saturday and it just smells like football it just it's it's a little cold but it's a little breeze there's just this smell to that part of the season that's one of my favorite things about new england and i love new england towns like i really do like yeah, the towns yeah. i got to live in um you know boston's a city but there was a soul to them there was kind of a part of it like some of these other parts of the country and i've been probably everywhere for the most part and you'll be like there's no like soul to this it doesn't feel like it has anything and new england definitely has that but i love the water and the fact that i can be in and out of the water year round yeah. is, is important yeah, so for sure um the last time you were on
3: we got into this whole thing about your terrible take about pam from the office and jim and yeah. pam and it's funny because Let me break the fourth wall here for the people listening. Today is Wednesday, and I'm taping with Ryan. Yesterday, Tuesday, I taped an interview with Brian Baumgartner, played Kevin on The Office, which will follow this interview with Ryan if you're listening to the podcast. So I got you on here with Kevin from The Office. You had a terrible take, obviously, about Pam being a horrible person. Do you have any feelings about Kevin Malone from The Office, who's coming on this podcast
4: shortly? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I, I like Kevin. I mean, the tough part for Brian, the actor, is that people are so thrown off when he's normal. Yeah. Because he's a normal guy and he's not yeah. he's not people Kevin. People thought that was his voice on the show, which... Yeah. <laughs> That's how good got. he was. Yeah. But no, I don't feel... Honestly, the Pam thing has taken off. I mean, I was... <laughs> whatever you want to say, you know, one giant step for mankind. I mean, I was the guy putting the foot on the moon first on that one. And, I mean, it's, it's turned into an industry right now, the PAM stuff that's out there. So I feel like, you know, eventually when things are back to normal, there'll be some big convention and everyone will cheer me on and we'll make shirts. She should definitely have you on her podcast. Her and Angela
3: have a podcast that, you know, I think she should have you on to duke it out.
4: That would be weird. That would be <laughs> really weird. I mean, I think my favorite part of all of it was there was a reporter that got really mad and she said, you know, I can't believe you would say this about a strong female character oh, and on and on, and on and I just and I just went you know it was a fake documentary right yeah like it was fake yeah. we're just talking about a tv show because then well, it would turn it, into like it... G- but no but it would turn into like well Jim wasn't great I'm like never said he was never said Dwight was great never said Michael was great right. just that Pam becomes this girl next door America's sweetheart thing and she was literally evil I mean she had two moms her first mom checked out and then she got another one think about that that's uh E- evil that's the word to describe pam beasley evil all right she lied about a job made it
3: up threatened corporate i mean we've seen athlete we've seen sports figures lie about
4: jobs on resumes it's, you know it happens yeah but i mean does does do you want to marry any of those people i think the guys that had an early crush on pam see have a real blind spot to her faults as a human being and i just try to point them out for everybody terrible take all right um <laughs> <laughs> when we well, The last time we spoke You had just joined The ringer
3: From ESPN Now you're, I guess You're uh, Embarking on What year three At the ringer
4: Yeah there was A little overlap um, Right That So I was still With ESPN Through 19 August 19 um, But I'd still Been doing some stuff With the ringer So yeah what Yeah have, it feels like What year have been three.
3: The biggest Differences Pluses and minuses For you Ringer
4: Versus ESPN all right, here we go. <laughs> ESPN was was almost 15 years of my life. You know, I got there right around 30. I'd, I'd been local Boston on a network that no one listened to, and I, you know, didn't make any money. But it was great because I got to do it every single day. So if you believe in the 10,000 hour thing or whatever, that was me learning how to do the job and doing it every day, and kind of getting this thing. Like I think hosts, you all need to develop, meaning me included. You need to develop this this ear, like a musician has an ear for something. You have to develop. Hey, does this work? Does this play? Like, would people be interested in this? You know, would you change the channel on yourself? And those years of doing four hours a day, afternoon drive, even though no one was really listening in Boston, it prepared me to go ahead and be a host at ESPN. And so, different times when your contract's up, you know, I think there was a time in, I don't know, two thousand twelve. I was up. You know, things didn't really feel like they'd been working out. i have been there six years. And, you know, a couple of my closest friends were like, look, you were the guy in college that would, would stop and watch TV even if we were all out. You were the guy that stayed in if it was like a Red Sox game. You were the guy that, you know, would, would go get the newspaper. You'd walk into town and get the newspaper on Friday to get the lines. Like I had to have this Boston Herald Friday edition special order to this newsstand in Burlington, Vermont, just so I could get this guy's article that I would read all the time. That's funny. So they were kind of like, you know, how are you going to feel if you're not going to be allowed to go to ESPN anymore? Because I had an offer to move to New York City, but there didn't really seem like there was much of a plan from places making the offer. And it was a really cool exercise mentally, because I turned on ESPN to start my day, I watched two people I knew you know, on SportsCenter, you know, 9am SportsCenter. And I go like, how are you going to feel if you don't get to go there anymore? You know, like, this is a dream. And I was like, I'm not going to like that. So I resigned, you know, I stayed, I was lucky enough to get another offer. And then I got another offer after that. But the last time around, you know, as we touched on the pod there, I went through the exercise again. I said, I'll be fine. I mean, there was about like fire, four or five other times where I thought it was like the last day I'd be on campus anyway. And then I came back. So being at the ringer and now Spotify, which as you guys all know acquired us last year. um, It's just different because I... I guess I feel a little bit more important, which would make sense. Well, that's considering huge. Yeah. You know, there's just guys ahead of you in line at ESPN. And I knew there was a ceiling on who I could be at ESPN, but I still felt like the ceiling for me personally was a little bit higher. And I, I think even though they liked me, I mean, cause clearly they didn't hate me. They wanted me to stick around, but they didn't like me as much as I wanted them to like me. And that's fine. Um, we went our separate ways and who know, but I just feel like Bill was somebody who for years was like, you're good at this. You're good at this. And then he brings you in and, and, it, he kind of either he proved it or I proved it, and I just you know, it feels good to kind of be at a place where they're like, No, we think you're really good at this job. So,
3: and, and what about, about in terms of creative freedom or just freedom to say and do what you want on a, on a, on a podcast? Um, is there a big difference there? I, I don't know how much. No, ESPN, okay,
4: no, I really don't think so. I think one of the biggest misconceptions about ESPN is how controlling they are about content. Um, they're just really not, you know, all these theories of. Oh well, they want you to do this, or this is good. It's just not true. Like I remember one time when we had just gotten a NASCAR package, I did a radio show on a Saturday or Sunday where I I studied NASCAR the entire night. This is way back, like oh six oh seven. I'd be filling in. I'd have like one shift every three weeks and put way too much into it. So I'm reading. Pages and pages of NASCAR stuff to prepare for this NASCAR thing because they were like, hey, we're going to make this a priority. And then finally, like another radio manager was like, you know what? None of these guys really know what they're talking about. And even though it's a new property, like, you know, just go back to the NFL. NFL is going to be your highest rated segment. Um, the SEC stuff is never true. You know, the NBA, I like the NBA, but I didn't do it because ESPN had a deal with them. I didn't talk about different conferences because ESPN. So I have just as much freedom. I mean, I can swear now which I probably do a little too much of. But as far as ESPN and the freedom of doing shows or podcasts that I wanted to do, there was way more freedom there than people realize.
3: That's interesting. Yeah,
4: it's funny, though, because
3: obviously your I don't know if he's your, I guess technically he's your boss, Bill Simmons. I mean, he famously got in trouble for saying Roger Goodell's a liar on a podcast. Now that, of course, is, that's different than being able to say what you want because ESPN's in bed with the NFL and obviously there's a lot of issues there. So I think maybe that's why some people might have a perception that ESPN um
4: maybe a little tighter on freedom. It's uh it's a simple rule though. If you're gonna talk, whether it's a talk show, panel show, TV, or podcast like that, you're supposed you're just not supposed to make it personal. You know? And so C League C League took everything really personal. So if you criticize C League, he would he would have you punished, which I never quite understood why. Um Goodell, I'll give him this, like I I didn't hear about stuff as much as C League we'd hear stuff constantly, like, oh this guy criticized C League and now he's gonna get yelled at and he had really, really thin skin. I'll give Goodell this, he has a lot thicker skin, but Bill said something that was so personally attacking that that's when you get in trouble.
3: Right, so. right. Yeah, it's funny, I remember I had three, um, well, two two plus years at foxsports.com, which I try to forget about, and I remember because they have a partnership with MLB, there was a freak out one day over like, don't cover something, because, you know, so it's interesting that you would say that about Selig as well. Um, you said a little while ago about people doing this, finding their voice. I find it really hard now to have a voice because every word is possibly the end of what you're doing. It's more difficult than ever. And what's interesting is on the luxury of a podcast, we can edit. So if we say something, a guess is something that we think is going to cause a big ruckus. <laughs> we could at least edit yeah. it out. It's a little different even than live t v or live radio um do you Are you struggling at all with that? It's really gotten worse and worse over the past couple of years um where you just every word is a minefield
4: basically. do you feel that or or is that just me exaggerating no i I don't think it's an exaggeration um I've always tried to be really authentic i wanted to be the same guy on the air as the same guy that you would meet if you ever ran into me. Um, And I think, you know, over the course of the last couple of years, the job, we could say the job has changed. I think the way they've... I personally didn't get into sports in 2002 so that I could talk about societal stuff. Like, you know, I really like baseball, but I'm really hoping to talk about, you know, social issues in in 2020, you know? Like, I don't think anybody started off in sports hoping to pivot to that a little bit later. So I know that at times whenever a guy with a sports background dips his toes into that, you can either just be exploited as like, oh, well, you know, exploited is the wrong word. Um, exposed as, as being like, hey, you're you're just not educated enough on this or whatever. And usually it just comes down to your politics. It's like, oh, you, I disagree with you, so I think you're stupid and sticks to sports and all that kind of stuff. Um, and I know that whenever I think about like some of the the tougher topics, like I went through a lot of stuff last year where Bill and I talked about everything that was going on in LA in the in the aftermath of George Floyd being murdered. And it ended up being, you know, a podcast where I look back and, and have a lot of regret because I just feel like I didn't do a very good job. Even though I've been talking for a living for almost two decades, I was like, maybe, maybe I didn't understand that the minefield was there for me. Um, right. so ever since that time I went, you know what? I got into this to talk sports. You can still do the job by talking sports um, and that's, that's what I, that's what I yeah. set out to do. So uh, for me, it was kind of like a hard pivot back where I'm like, yeah, there's some issues that'll come up or a topic that'll come up. And after everything that happened with that and just some of the stuff that was said about me that just wasn't true, I'm like, you know what? I think, I think from now on, like I'll, I'll stick to ranking NBA players and I'll stick to some <laughs> of this other stuff. And clearly the numbers back it up, right? Like the, that's what. The audience is coming to me for they're not going, "Hey, I wonder what he thinks about the House of Representatives this year you know i don't think anybody has ever downloaded a podcast hoping that that was going to be the lead right do you think I
3: sort of think and this is going to sound so simple and it's not really an original thought. A lot of people have said this. I firmly believe this one thousand percent, like you, I agree with what you said when I started I started at Sports Illustrated in two thousand, I never thought I'd be covering social issues as well. You're working for Sports Illustrated. I feel like it's only happening because of social media. I think that is, I think that is what. If if it, if social media didn't exist, I don't think we would ever in sports be talking about that stuff.
4: Because I do think a lot of people, I do it too, because I have to zero percent would be low. Right? Zero would be low because I mean it okay. still would come up from time to right. I mean, would you agree with that? Um, <laughs> well, whatever the number is, I don't think it's zero.
3: I just think I don't know because I don't want to get into a whole thing about it. But I feel like it all started obviously with Trump. And I think Trump was a product of social media. And then it became cover everything that's on social media, basically. And that sprouted out all this other stuff about social justice and everything just all came to a head because this is what everyone was doing, basically. And it was all going on on social media and people like me and sports media companies use social media to direct content, which I think has been a mistake.
4: Well, definitely, social media has a lot to do with it because I'll see, you know, people that I'm friends with, and I'll go, "Wow, like I never knew you were that interested in this," or I didn't know that this was the main priority for you. And then I wonder, like, wait, are, are, is this because this is how you start your day every day, or is this because like what you really believe, or you know that this actually plays? Um, I know the segment I could have done with Bill. With five minutes, and all right, everybody will still like me. And instead, I wanted to go a little bit deeper on some of the things I thought about, and then it all just got spun into something else. And look, there's still stuff I said in that that I regret, and should have been two white guys talking about that topic for as long as we did. It was stupid, and I apologized, and you know I felt bad about it. I really felt bad about it because I was like, man, I there's so many people like you assume people know where your head's at and your heart's in the right place and the things you care about, and then you can forget like that's a huge audience and I was on Bill's pod. So not everybody knows me, you know, not everybody does know me that well. So then they're like, who's this asshole. So I, after that time, especially when I was reading like, Hey, the stuff I got, the stuff I did wrong, I was like, all right. Yeah. Like I deserve to get my ass kicked here a little bit. But then there was other stuff where I was like, okay, this is just turning into like, none of this is even accurate now. So it was a lesson of like, I don't want to talk about, that stuff because I'm not as educated about it. I, if I'm a black guy, I'm probably pretty tired of hearing a couple of white guys go, "Hey, here's what's not racist this week." You know, that's not that's not cool. So I don't. I just don't want to do that stuff because there'll be times it's, a topic will come up and it's like, "Oh, Steve Nash," you know, he get hired is that because of race? And I'm just like, you know what? I'm just going to talk about the Nets. I'm going to talk about the Nets roster because that's what I'm comfortable doing. And I do wonder when I look at some of the program decisions, like I wonder. Yeah. Is it a byproduct of everything that's hot that day on social media or, you know, like the ESPN part of it, like they were struggling trying to get everybody back on the sports path years prior to last year. And then once everything that was going on for a m- bunch of different reasons, it was like, now, nah, like we can't, we're not going to tell anybody what they can and can't do right now. And I know that Canel and I years ago had done a segment where I was like, man, I sometimes I wonder what the job is now. And then. You know, look, I got I ripped for that but you prob- because I was just asking, right?
3: Right, right. And I bet you, whatever that segment was that you did was probably driven by social media. That's sort of my point I- about all this.
4: Yeah, I guess like I'll look back and think when I first started ESPN, like Cal Herd was really good on on like social observation and that kind of stuff, right? Mm. But he, he would do, well, no, look, uh, you may have disagreed with him, Gene, right, right, but right. he would put some thought into it that would make you think. Look, I'm with you. There's plenty of times where he would say something where I would disagree, right? but that segment would stand out, right? That segment would stand out. And the example that I, I use is I remember being on Mike and Mike one day with Danny Connell, and at that point, like the Warriors were either going to get the or they weren't. And I mapped out the whole way it was going to happen and it was sourced. And I was like, this is what's going to happen if the deal goes down it, and nailed it. It's one of the smartest, most informed, best things I've ever done on the air ever. No one fucking cared because what I think was starting to happen is if you really broke through on something that was happening, that was newsworthy and you were passionate about. And so somebody like in Cowherd's position that maybe would do one of those segments every six months. Then it was turning into like, oh, we're doing this once a week now. And then I would look around, going like, all right, I want to come in and talk about whether or not the SEC is light years ahead of Ohio State or you right. know, the Big Ten. And then you'd be like, wait, am I am I doing this wrong now? Because I want to rank the conferences because right. everything that's happening around me seems to be different. So it was just a weird it was a weird segment to do, and people kind of got pissed about that one. So I was like, all right, right.
3: well, that that's my issue is more than anything <clears throat> is I just feel like there there's no forgiveness there's no context like for instance i will probably get someone on twitter guaranteed when we post this podcast on thursday someone will be like oh how could you have Rosillo on after the you know him and bill simmons talks about black Lives matter and he's a trump supporter or whatever they're gonna say and it's like okay so you did the segment with bill you realized not the best thing to do you apologized you felt bad for it we can't accept that. We have to just now. That's like the label, like that's going to be tagged. That's what I hate more than anything is that there's no now. Listen, I think there's, in, I th- I do think there are cases that come up. Tom Brennerman, for instance, no issue with him getting fired right off the bat. I mean, that was just mind boggling what he did. But you, ha- there has to be, you have to judge. I think each situation on its own, the context of it, and then it's too much, like all one thing each controversy quote unquote should be judged on itself
4: that's how I feel
3: well
4: it was an awful week and the thing that I actually was trying to do when all of a sudden I became this Trump supporter through the media which is just not true I didn't vote for him either time I was saying hey I wasn't exactly running around in 2000 you know 2008 with an Obama hoodie on a hope hoodie but even I can understand is not somebody who's way left. Look, I, I can't really stand any of the politicians. All right? I remember like the first time I really cared about it. My father was a self-employed carpenter. We didn't have health insurance. You know, some years are better than others. It was 1992. I was in high school and Clinton came on and was like, hey, within 100 days, health care for all. <laughs> that was this big thing was healthcare for all. And you're like, this is great because I was being selfish in the moment. Cause I wanted my dad to feel better about having health insurance for the family. And it was an right. unbelievable speech and go back and look I was hooked. I was like, this is great. You know, family voted for him. Um, and guess what didn't happen, <laughs> you know? And so that's not a Republican Democrat thing. It's just, Oh, so it was like the first sense of like, man, that was such a great, great right. way to get people to vote. And it wasn't even close to be like, he wasn't going to be able to pull that off. And so, When what I was doing was, you know, maybe you people could get like, it's funny because people like, oh, you're just another ESPN lib. But now I've become like MAGA boy because I said this awful week, you know, whatever the job of president, whatever the demands are, whatever the pre at the very least, like one of the easiest things about the job is understanding decency understanding how to be decent in the moment like sometimes the country just needs a fucking hug and you need to say the right thing and trump was incapable of ever doing that so even if you're a trump supporter listening to this podcast like i think you'd even have to if you were of of moderate intelligence go hey it would have been nicer if he could have just you know not pissed everybody off in the aftermath of another horrible thing happening um and even listening this people are not going to hear me but i was trying to like kind of shake the listener and go, hey, like not even as the biggest Obama guy either, I can understand he would be so much better right now because he would know what to say. He would act more like a leader. He would actually be as cheesy as it sounds, a little more presidential. And maybe none of that stuff matters and changes anything in the grand scheme of things. But I was presenting that, and then I woke up on that Monday and was like, "Uh uh-oh. And seriously, like one of the New York papers said, Rossillo defends vote for Trump for tax purposes after George Floyd murder. And I went, oh, well, you like, you're going to be kidding me. Like, what? and so then, you know, then once that happens, then it's kind of game on because then everybody can be like, well, I'm using that headline as my source. And then all sorts of stuff was, was going on and some weird stuff happened. And I remember like a reporter who just had everything wrong and was trying to like, I could tell there was people that were trying to like get me and I would call him back and go, look, we're off the record here, but like, here's the deal. This is wrong. This is wrong. This is wrong. And he'd be like, oh, and you know, we talked it out. I thought we were fine. And then he took one piece of what I was talking about with looting where I said, look, the, who's pro looter. And I go, and by the way, everybody that's on social media, that if you're from one part of the argument trying to point out like, oh, look at this group looting. Well, there's another group that looks completely different from this group that's also doing the same shit. So my thing is if you're a bullshit peddler for your own message, I have no time for you whatsoever. And I pointed that out, but then there was one part of it where it turned into I was saying something about sneakers being sold, and then that ends up in the New York Times. And so you were like, what are you doing? This this isn't even accurate. So you sit at home, and you think your heart's in the right place, and now you're like, ah this sucks like it's not fun you know it just wasn't fun so but then again there were much worse things happening than were happening to me so like you got to move on and just say all right well fuck it like i'm not going to sit here and fight with everybody all day about this well that's the thing once
3: once you're in it once you're in it you can't once you're in it you have to just step back for a couple days and let it die down because you're not going to win that battle if everyone's coming at you but i'm just curious because you said you said you didn't vote for trump by the time and then you got pegged as a trump supporter because something you said about tack how did that become that you became known as a Trump voter if you didn't vote for Trump just because of that tax line?
4: Yeah, cuz of the taxes thing. Cuz then even when I said to a couple friends they were like, "Well, you voted." For-. I was like, "I didn't." They're like, "You're just saying that now." Mm-hmm. I went, "All right." I'm like, "You guys are acting like I'm the CEO of Amazon over here <laughs> and that I, you know, I have I have different thoughts on people working their asses off trying to make a decent living, putting money in a college fund, hoping to be able to go on vacation, a couple cars, you know, make sure you're putting away as much as you can in a 401k and Look, I, I I am hesitant to even do this, but I think if you really look into people that are trying to do it the right way, I'm not talking about multi multi millionaires, but just hoping to get their slice of life here and do it in the right way. There's some scary proposals out there, and I'll leave it at that. So, there you go.
3: And you didn't want to talk about politics.
4: <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, look, I mean, I haven't really talked about this. I, I had a well, lot. You know what I do up- think.
3: Go ahead. You can have that plan. I think it's hard to stick to that plan when now it's so much a part of sports, no matter what you... I mean, you can't escape it at this point just because... And I'm not just talking about the NBA putting Black Lives Matter on a baseball court, which seems to offend people, which I'm not necessarily... But just, you know, you watch a football game, they do all this, you know, they have the Army and they're flying things around and, you know, National Anthem, Yankee game, seventh game, seventh, in the middle of the seventh inning, the Yankees are doing God Bless America, like... It's there. It's like everything is become so heightened, and you notice it more, and you pay it. I don't know how you. I don't know how sports is going to get away from it at this point.
4: It might not, and maybe that's you know what everybody needs. I don't have any of the answers on this kind of stuff, but I yeah. know that when I watch as much NBA as I do, I'm watching, going, "Hey, do I think the Suns can beat the Lakers? Do I think right. the Jazz can beat the Suns? All right, right, well, there's the open that I'm going to do tomorrow. Hey, is Chris Paul underrated? Boom." done right why is no one playing defense is this the worst season I've ever seen as far as like challenging and having well okay well that makes sense because everything that's going on it's like two seasons in one and there's no fans for most of it let me call a couple coaches hey what do you think what's some GM saying and then I'll share that with everybody and then I'll do an interview with a sports related topic every now and then I'll dip outside of it so I've been doing it now for a year and it works so you're right we could say how can you escape it I've just been like look I I I try I you know what sucks so much about the regrettable podcast is I was like all right well if I'm going to do this like let me think about a bunch of different ways to talk about these topics and research Minneapolis and credit younger people for caring about this stuff in ways that my generation didn't really care mm-hmm. you know my generation didn't talk about this stuff you weren't as conscious about everything that's going on so I think younger people deserve a ton of credit for caring about this stuff and that's you know true. what you say one or two things that steer you down the road of like oh you're one of those guys and I was like well I'm not but I also didn't feel like tweeting nonstop. Like, I had friends that all of a sudden were like, I can't believe you voted for him. And I'm like, what are you talking about? So, but then again, I didn't want to go on because I also don't know why anybody would spend each morning when Trump was in office going, all right, well, I got to fire off my anti-Trump shit before I leave the house today. Because I just go, you know, maybe it's a coping mechanism. Maybe it makes you feel better. But I, I, think I personally it just,
3: would I think like, it goes back to just people being consumed with social media. That's what it is. I
4: would say go outside. You know? N- yeah.
3: Not easy for people to do though. I mean, that Twitter that Twitter app is addictive. That's the problem. And Facebook, forget it, I'm not even gonna I mean, that should just be banned for life, but that's all that's sure. <laughs> true. Um All right, let's okay. let me I wanna do you do two or three pods a week for the Ringer? Three. Right. three. Three. Sometimes four, but um, Yeah, you're Bill prolific.
4: And I, you're oh, prolific.
3: Thanks. Do you ever get tired of it? Are there ever days I write every day and I have to admit There are days where I just, I'm like, I have nothing. I've got nothing in the tank. You do three pods a week. I think that's a lot. Are there ever days where you're like, and I don't even mean, I don't mean the act of getting on the microphone and speaking. I mean, is there anything,
4: is there ever a day where you just don't have an opinion on something? (laughs) Well, you got to remember, Jimmy, I'm going for 15 hours a week for almost a decade. Right. And one of the reasons I also radio, right. And one of the other reasons I moved on from that is that I spent well over a decade, Waking up, thinking about what I wanted to say, spending all day thinking about what I wanted to say, prepping for it, writing, reading, calling, and then talking for three hours on the air. And then that little post-show respite of workout, grab some dinner, and then watch NBA games from 7 until 1 a.m. I mean, that was a decade straight. And all I did was think about the show. And then on the weekends, all I did was think about the show. So, yes, there's probably a day every now and then where I'm like, "Ah, I don't really like my Open, or maybe I won't do a longer monologue or You know, I probably could be a little bit more prepped up on this guest. And if I have a a serious thing where I, I, you know, look, all of us are still going to have interviews. You're like, God, you know, like I could have done a better job of that. And I didn't, then that'll motivate me to make sure it doesn't happen again for a long time. But I would, the simple answer is no, because to go from 15 hours to doing, you know, four, four and a half to six hours of podcasting a week, I get excited about doing it. And, you know, one of the things that's really weird about the job is I, at times, you'd work with somebody and you'd be like, why do you want to be on air when you don't have anything to say? Like I have stuff I want to say. It doesn't mean it's right, but if I'm going to spend all this time watching games with legal pads everywhere, taking notes, then I want to share it with people. And um, so I would say that, yeah, look, going back, scaling down, I don't feel like I'm doing a ton of work, even though I know that, you know, it's still a number of pods.
3: That's the way to do it. If you don't feel like you're doing a ton of work, you're doing something right. Um, What's it been like for you personally working during the pandemic and just doing it from home, not being able to go to games, you know, it's not being able to see people. you think it's a little, it hurts you creatively a little bit? Like No,
4: no. I, I, I'm pretty used to being by myself anyway. So some of my friends joked that nobody's been more prepared for the pandemic than you. Um, and I knew, you know, I don't have kids, I'm homeschooling, so I wasn't going to complain. Work was not something I had to worry about, like so many other people had to worry about. So I was really lucky. So throughout it all, I was like, I'm not going to complain about this. I'm going to try to use the time. Um, for the other things that I, you know, I'm, I'm working on with the with the writing part of it, and I I just wanted to do what I could. Like it, it, you know, sure, I'd love to go to games, and I'd love to start going to games again. I'm sure I will here soon. Yeah. Um, but for me, going to games wasn't as important because you know I always have a ton of respect for the beat people, the print side of it. Still have to show up all the time, especially the people like the local beat that are. Like baseball beat writers, I always kinda of bring it up, but after having a season with a minor league baseball team and seeing what it's like to be in the dugout, you know, one sixty two, add in spring training, all these other days. So I didn't have to do it for my job, but um you well, know, I'm I'm happy that I'm happy that people got through this. I'm I'm happy that more things were able to be pulled off here than people thought well over a year ago when it was like really the projections were so bad that people were wondering where we've even been to this point. So I, I try to make the most of it, and you know I'm 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 ready to start traveling again like everybody else. But I, I yeah, like I said, it wouldn't, it didn't impact me a ton.
3: I have to say, I, I mean, maybe I shouldn't say this since I'm working for Sports Illustrated, but I miss concerts more than I miss sporting events.
4: Yeah, but that's an escape for you. You know, sporting yeah. events still right. work, so that makes sense. Right, right. Who are you most gonna? And- who are you fired up to go see?
3: I don't know. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm out here on Long Island, and they do concerts at Jones Beach. So it's perfect for a pandemic. It's outside. It's at the beach. I'm vaccinated. So, like, I'd feel totally safe. I don't want... My thing is, I don't want to go to concerts and sporting events and have to wear a mask. Now I'm going to be accused of being an anti-masker, but believe me, when I'm in the store and I see someone not wearing a, wearing a mask, I get pissed. But, like, if I'm vaccinated <laughs> and I'm outside, if I'm at Yankee Stadium or Jones Beach and I'm vaccinated, I should not have to wear a mask. I'm sorry. I think I you're love okay. Fauci, but it's absurd.
4: Yeah, I, I, I'd I like to think you're okay with that one. But, you know, I've probably already said enough on this pod that I don't know if I want to give my mask position. Yeah,
3: don't, don't give your mask take because you'll get in more trouble. I'll, I'll take the, the hit for that one saying I, I'm sick of, I don't want to wear the mask if I'm vaccinated. Outside especially. And you want me to wear the mask for the 20 minutes I'm in the supermarket, I have no problem. with it keep everyone safe. That's fine. Outside. Yeah, I don't think there's any issue. With it's, it's absurd. I do, you know, here in New York, we're very, very lucky. Well, we were very lucky before the pandemic in that um, every single month, once a month, Billy Joel did a show at Madison Square Garden. So there would be nights where like, it, you know, there'd be days I'd be at the SI office, four o'clock in the afternoon, call up. So, you know, you want to go, let's go see Billy. Go and like, just see Billy. Like, it was great because he did like, a, it was like a residency at Madison Square Garden, basically. So I do miss that because it was just He so did easy. once a month. How long has he been doing that? Oh, it's been like, oh God, I probably would say he's been doing that for like five, six, seven years.
4: I didn't even know that. I'm not a huge yeah. Billy Joel guy, and I probably shouldn't share that, but I think it's bartending back in the days and having St. Mike's kids say, can you please please put on Piano Man well, for last call? And I yeah. would just be like, all right, I've, I've had it.
3: It's funny because I, I went on Twitter once and... Got into the biggest shitstorm ever because I said Piano Man wouldn't be in my top 25 Billy Joel songs. And people, I mean, listen, I get it. Like, if you go to a Billy Joel concert and he doesn't play Piano Man, they'll burn Madison Square Garden to the ground. Like, <laughs> I get it. I don't need to hear it ever again, as far as I'm concerned. That means concerned. you like, really fine. like
4: them, though. You're like, you're more of a troubadour. Well, so that's always like, that's, yeah,
3: that's that's what I take a break from, you know, singing badly during Piano Man. I relax and then I get ready for, like, you know, scenes from an Italian restaurant or
4: something like that. So, yeah, I, I respect I just, the hell out of him. I really get it. I respect all of it, but it just, there's certain bands, you know, there's certain bands that you just, when you, if you bartended for a while, you're like, all right. Like Montel Jordan, this is how we do it. <laughs> Martha's Vineyard, summer of 96 when I was bartending. Yeah. I was just like, I, I can't. And I respect the hell out of that song and his height, his length. But uh, it was, um, but it was a tough But can Montel
3: Jordan summer. even do a, like, does he have enough songs to do a concert? Do he like did. One, I think one I was actually
4: gun. at a Clippers game where he did halftime. Yeah.
3: Have you ever, because you're you're very, very good friends with Carissa Thompson, who is an enormous Lionel Richie fan. Have you yeah. ever seen Lionel Richie with Carissa or by yourself? Yeah. Or with-
4: no, we actually saw him out. We were at this, uh, you know, look, I live down by the beach. So I've been, I get lost whenever I go up to Hollywood still. Like I used to have to go up for meetings or, you know, back when things were still a little bit normal and you know, Northeast guys are the worst because we're like, oh, every place sucks and we've never been anywhere, right? We just we're experts on every place without ever having right. to go. And so my friends are like, Man, I can't believe you're moving there. You're gonna hate it. And I knew I was gonna love it because I knew the part that I wanted to live in. And so I I every now and then I think I was more adventurous when I first, first got here, where I was like, All right, look, I just still have to see what some of these deals like, I gotta go to a couple of these places. Yeah. Like, for what's sure. this place about? So there's um I think it's Sunset Tower. It's kind of this restaurant hotel deal and everybody goes to it. It's kind of like an industry thing and I went there one night with Chris and some of her friends and Lionel Richie was there. And it was uh it was a big Did deal. she freak out? She ha- she was good. I mean she's been around celebrities for such a long time yeah. that even though she she loves Lionel so much it was uh I was very impressed with how she she just she nailed it. Like I got invited to probably the coolest party one I don't know. I think it was the first year I was here, and I knew going into it because the guy that was inviting me, he was like, "You're this is going to be a real hit list of of famous people," and I was so far like I'm talking if you had a seat everybody like one through sixty eight, I would have been in the CBI, all right. <laughs> and I showed up with Carissa, uh, and it was uh, uh, it was kind of like it was funny too because people could tell like we weren't together, so there was yeah. zero respect for the fact that I walked in with her whatsoever, and I was kind of like it was almost like that Seinfeld episode. Where you're like, I know I'm not with her, but shouldn't you have more? How did you, you know? Shouldn't you have a little bit more respect because I showed up with her? Right. Um, so now I'm actually just That's making great. fun of myself. But she's great. Yeah. Yeah, yeah.
3: I saw Lionel at MSG a couple of years ago. It was I, I could not believe how good it was. You got, see, that was a see the nice thing about that is I went in low expectations, and then the ex, and then it was like you know through the roof basically of how good it was. So that was a good show. I'd love to see him again. Um Let me ask you a couple of sports things. I'm curious about. We're about the same age. I and I people are gonna get on me for this, and I don't care. Don't tweet me. I'm just gonna. This is how I feel. This is my. I hate this. All this streaming business. I hate it. I want to watch cable. <laughs> and now Thursday night football next year is Amazon Prime only. No television. Does this bother you as well, or am I just really an old mother?
4: Efferent? Hey, look. I'll tell you right now. The first time I heard about it, I was like, "What are you gonna do?" You know. But think about how many times people have been wrong about technology. I remember when eBay first came around, a couple friends that were, you know, in banking, right? They're like, So you're just gonna say you're gonna pay for something? That's not gonna work. <laughs> you know, imagine if yeah. you like, wait, a stranger's just gonna pick you up and you're gonna drive you somewhere, <laughs> like, I'm gonna let my kids do that. That's stupid. You know? Oh, what All am right. I gonna do? I'm just gonna I'm supposed to just tweet out how to sandwich send so how often do the curmudgeons have to be wrong about technological advances well, before you finally just, admit maybe you don't have the greatest scope on things so i'm fair
3: in. point fair point i'm not anti-streaming stream whatever you want put every game on streaming just still give me the option to watch it on cable and take care of old people like me that's all i'm saying you want to stream it stream it but p- still put it on somewhere where i can because i like don't you like to flip around like i don't <laughs> When you stream, you can't flip. You can't. I need to flip during a game. All those commercials, halftime. I'm not watching halftime shows that much. Like, I think
4: you watch Curb Your Enthusiasm too much. Like I'm listening to you, and I already can see like you have. Love you Larry. Have, you have the older version of you down already. Like Larry's it's like my dream.
3: Larry's my dream guest. Larry's
4: my dream <laughs> guest. Yeah, you and I both. I um, uh, I wrote a Curb, and one of his guys years ago read it and was like, "This is actually not terrible." You know, because when you're not an established writer, people kind of go into it being like, you know, one of my yeah, friends got a script guy. that was a Word document that wasn't even spaced. And they went, hey, you're going to have to you have to format this differently. And I wrote a curb where, you know, obviously the whole episode, Larry's wrong. And then Larry's the punchline at the end. And the guy was like, this isn't terrible. But the problem is, is like you made fun of Larry for 30 something pages. And he, but that's, is, he doesn't know. The show is
3: yeah. making fun of Larry.
4: Yeah. and It's not very scripted either. But yeah. Um, right. Yeah, I think you have it down. I think you have it. Look, all I get your point, but yeah. I've I've given in. I'm in. Whatever it is, I've got all the TVs updated, and it was really really frustrating. And then guess what? Like when I want ESPN and a UFC fight, like I hit a button, and then all of a sudden it's on. So I don't know. I'm in now.
3: See, when I try to do it, it's like you don't have this subscription. You got to upgrade to this. Then this yep. doesn't. Work. Then it's on this streaming service that I don't pay for, even though I pay for twenty whatever. Um, NFL opening Sunday is Aaron Rodgers, the Packers quarterback. Is he retired? Is he on another
4: team? Great question. I have not been a fan of how he and his team have handled this. I mean, it was so incredibly obvious that, hey, let's dominate draft coverage and have everybody talk about us. And then they leaked specific you know, thoughts with different guys to make sure they took care of everybody, you know, Schefter, Rappaport. I'll give you forward. a wacky
3: conspiracy theory, too. I, I, I wonder, too, if part of the leak was to ruin his Derby Saturday.
4: Wait, I think I thought it was leaked.
3: It was to leaked get the Thursday, the out. day
4: of the draft. Right. So you think somebody who's anti-Rogers leaked it? I thought it from oh, I, I was I reading. could see I could see it going either way. Okay, but the Jeopardy part was clearly leaked from the Rogers side because that but The tweet, Jeopardy
3: part is not any He's been saying that for weeks. Are people not paying attention? He's done at least 3 interviews where he said he will do Jeopardy full-time and he can do it in the off-season because they only tape for like Forty-eight days or something like that. He has said that in numerous. and He said it to McAfee. He said it somewhere. He said it to Kyle Brand, I think, or no, he said it on Good Morning. Okay, first football. of
4: all, he was okay. All right, let's not act like you know this guy made us change the idea of who hosts should or shouldn't be. All right, right. he was he was good for a football player, and you're like, hey, that was pretty good. But then it's like, oh, you're actually going to be the guy. Those are different. Those are different grading scales. Right. But the Rappaport tweet specifically that Bill and I lost our minds about was that the leak was, well, people at Jeopardy really were impressed. As if all of a sudden Green Bay was going to go, you know, we were going to hold steady on this one. But, you know, you see that Rappaport tweet about Jeopardy execs really liking Aaron? Like, that was ridiculous. So that part I don't think was sent out to ruin Aaron's Kentucky Derby experience. My guess would be that – I don't know, man. The NBA, anytime you're saying, oh, that guy will be back, they're never, they're always gone. And the quarterbacks now are just the evolution of the NBA star. So this stuff's going to start happening more and more. That's what this offseason's been about, whether it was Deshaun before all of the personal stuff, but then Russell Wilson, who wants out, because I also think his wife wants out. Um, and now you have Rodgers here. If Rodgers really wanted out, then you should have done it before free agency. Um, so I think all of this is calculated. I don't think it's really going to work out that well for, I'll just look, it's a guess. It's not an informed guess. Yeah, yeah. I think they'll give in and probably trade him. Be interesting to
3: see where that, that, that will, I mean, listen, uh, CBS and Fox, I love that. That'll generate a ton of interest him in on another team. And, um, you know, here's the thing. There's a part of me that, you know, I'm a Yankee fan. I love the fact that Derek Jeter spent his whole life as a Yankee. I like when superstar players spend their whole career with one team. I think there's something special about that. It doesn't happen anymore, but in terms of business excitement, Aaron Rodgers on a different team would be a good thing for the NFL, I think.
4: Yeah, because it's just a new storyline. I mean, all yeah. of these things. You know, Kevin Clark, who works at The Ringer, who's a terrific, terrific writer. Um, yep. He's just so good on football. But He was he, on here a couple of months ago. Yeah, good get. He kind of – he wrote a piece about F1, about the Netflix series, the, the F1 series. And I, I watched the third season first and then regretted it immediately because I was like, this is incredible. And I went back and watched the other two seasons, and I've watched parts of – think like the first and third race, like a good chunk of it. I watched the entire third race, and I'm like, I can't believe I'm sitting here watching an F1 race. I've never had any interest, but I had interest because I knew the storylines now, right. Or I wanted to see the follow-up to the storylines because I was now emotionally invested, which I think every league should be trying to do as much as they possibly can as they're all competing for eyeballs. And so just the story alone of the Aaron Rodgers character being somewhere else adds to it. But I do think, and this is kind of funny because it brings it full circle to some of the stuff we were talking about, like nobody wants to stick up for management, but there are times where I'll see former players or maybe you know more player friendly media members like always back the NBA player whenever they want their way out, you know, because it's easy to do. Like if, let's just use Anthony Davis, for example, you could say, okay, the organization didn't support him, they didn't bring in enough people. Okay, but look, as soon as he signed with Clutch, like we pretty much knew he was gonna end up with LeBron anyway, so this wasn't some big mystery. But is it okay to look at it at a case by case basis? and say, okay, well, this guy, I understand why he wants out, but I really don't want to see like Harden rewarded because he's got two years left on his deal. And But I know what's going to happen. The, the evolution of, of the power now as it's shifted to the player and the player empowerment phase, which I think at times I can be for, but I'm not 100% for all the time. So then it can be like expose you as well, wait a minute, what's what's your deal? Like where's your head at with some of this stuff? And you're like, Well, my head is that in each subject I decide individually if I'm pro or for this. Right. And I you know, look people got mad at LeBron 10 years ago for leaving as a free agent and now guys are going to ask their way out with two years left and you have people going yeah I can see that like it's cool so I still think there'll be somebody whether it's a a non-quarterback or an NBA guy that signs with four years left on his deal that goes you know what I'm going to want out of here because it slowly starts to move it in the opposite direction that we were all growing up with
3: it's I'm laughing as you say this because I feel like you can see like my notes for this podcast because my next question, we can wrap it up on this, but this is what I was going to ask because I know you're a huge NBA guy. NBA, your favorite, would you, give me your power rankings of your favorite sports. Let's do a fluff question first. Give me the Ryan Russillo power rankings. You had to watch sports. Um,
4: give me like one, two, three, four. You know, the weird thing is forever it was baseball. It was. Like I didn't miss a Red Sox game for seven years. I'm not talking about like caught most of them. I'm saying if I had to like, do something outside, I had a little little earpiece to an AM radio.
3: I went through that phase myself right. with the
4: Yankees. I was yeah. obsessed, obsessed about it. It's amazing what you can pick up on when you've watched every single pitch of a season for, for multiple guys because you can see like, oh, that's where this guy's hole is in his swing, or okay, this guy doesn't have his control because of this. Like it's crazy because I was like, man, I'm really good at this.
3: <laughs> and that's the problem they have with – I think ESPN has with Sunday Night Baseball is when they have the national crew. A-Rod's terrible anyway, but it, it, it could be anybody in that spot. They come in doing a Yankee game when they have not – done the Yankees all season, they don't know what they're talking about. Like, it's very hard, I think, for baseball national guys to come in. Like, you, I, I think there's this, because I did with the Yankees. There is value in watching every game like that, like you did, where you pick up on things. And I think when you're a national baseball guy and you come in and you, you know, A-Rod does the Yankees, oh, I guess he probably does it more than once a month because they have other, you know, maybe it doesn't twice a month. I think it's hard to know the ins and outs of the teams like that.
4: But that's not even an A-Rod versus excursion thing. No, it no, is, that's, a, that's in every I,
3: national. Yeah, yeah,
4: yeah, yeah. One of the I just things like to bash A-Rod. I remind myself of <laughs> is that when I was local Boston guy, I hated all the national guys too, okay? Right. And here's, here's the formula. No national guy knows, and this is for fans, like no national guy knows as much about your team as you do for the most part. I mean, yes, there's some exceptions here but right. you have to remember that so then once i started kind of working on it and i went from local boston guy who hated all the national guys to then i was doing national and i go you know what like local guys need to chill out about this and i would tell people like hey you're mad because so and so like i'd come on and that's the thing when you're at espn you come on and then you kind of like answer for other espn people and i just be <laughs> like look why are, why are you freaked out like he's probably watched your team five times and you've watched him you know 50 times already this year so so don't worry about what he's like. He doesn't, right. he doesn't know what he's talking about. And I'm telling you, cause now I've seen both sides of it. So yeah. look, baseball just became something that I was less involved with. Cause it wasn't what I was doing. And I loved the Celtics ownership coming in. They were great to us. Cause I was moving to Boston when Wick and his group took over right at the same time. And then, you know, I just started going to those games and had more access. So the NBA is always going to be the first answer, but as somebody that grew up in New England and got to experience football in the South, I love a Saturday yeah. in the SEC as as much as any event. I do love boxing. I love MMA in person because the other part is I don't really have to talk about it, so I'm not watching it analytically and thinking, like, what are my seven takes on this? Or what if this right, happens? Right. Who needs it more? Who's under more pressure? Is it Who's to blame? I just watch it and enjoy the fighting part of it. But – I can't tell you how, how cool, just you're feeling like you're in a different country when you go down south. Yeah. And you're around these, these people that I, I just enjoy so much and these programs that I just feel really lucky that I got to do that for such a long time. And the cool thing is because I did it for such a long time, like some of those places are still inviting me back. So college football is like right there with the NBA. All right, so
3: here's my NBA question. I am not against guys leaving early. I, I, in college? I, no, no, no! In the NBA, like I'm not, I don't mind. I'm not totally what are you offended about? by Leaving like
4: early draft or asking to no, no. be traded,
3: asking to be traded,
4: yeah, okay. right, like the
3: right. Anthony Davis that you mentioned. Yeah, yeah. I, it doesn't bother me that much. I'd had, I mean, I wish LeBron stayed in Cleveland, but the fact that he went to Miami and won those titles, I I thought it was fun and exciting. I didn't have an issue with it. Um, I don't mind the AD LeBron thing. It doesn't bother me. For some reason, though, the season ends this year, and the new uh, New Jersey. The Brooklyn Nets win an NBA title. Where is the joy? Where is the excitement? <laughs> where is the so fun in any of that? Not one guy who's homegrown. Not one guy who's been there for more than five minutes. What, what's the satisfaction for the NBA fan out of that? Or is it, you know what, they can become the ultimate villain and you root for them to lose?
4: Yeah, I'll tell you, people were way more mad about the heat than they were the Brooklyn Nets, but I think there's a lot more to dislike I with think the this Nets. is so much more egregious. Yeah, but do you think that the public has played it's played out that way publicly? I don't think so. I also think I we've been incredibly distracted with other just, things. What where, I
3: envision is it's one of the NBA finals, July. Sitting there and the Nets win the title, the confetti's going up, Durant and Harden are hugging and like as a fan of the NBA, I'm just like, I don't have it. I usually I mean you probably feel this You know, from doing what we do and getting to know people in the industry and the business, you start you root for players almost more than teams. For me, at least, like I love LeBron. I know he's anti, he's pro
4: China, whatever. Don't dude, you really are qualifying everything right now. Twitter's in your head, Jimmy. It is. I got to cleanse you here. I love LeBron. Root for LeBron. How can you not like Steph
3: Curry? You, I root for Steph Curry. Like Embiid, who doesn't like Joel Embiid? I like Blake Griffin. I like Kevin Durant. But them putting up that trophy. It will be so empty (laughs) and generic and boring.
4: That seems excessive, but I don't think it's a terrible point. Look, I don't think it's a terrible point. Because what's happening is there's going to be this kind of justification thing, depending on who wins this year, where, you know, like a good example is LeBron got hurt that first year, all right? And the second guy didn't come to L.A. with him, which was a surprise to LeBron. Like right. he didn't think he was going to go there by himself. He ended up going there by himself and everybody thought like the front office was terrible. And they're like, why are they bringing in all these, these different guys? Like what the hell's going on? And then look, they get Anthony Davis as a game changer. But the conversation was, well, LeBron doesn't care about winning anymore. Now he just wants to make movies as if you can't right. make a I movie. Mean, one it's, of the it's, dumbest narratives that right. has ever been, but it happens all the time. Cause it's like, as soon as we can label something about you, then we're going to use it against you, especially if you're just anti that person in the first place. So, if he were to win another one, then we would say, okay, the regular season doesn't matter. But there's other storylines out there and the two teams that we're talking about, like the Philly Embiid Simmons thing, I don't think fits, but they still might win. All right. Well, that and would so be good. That... that would be way better for the NBA than Brooklyn winning. Okay, but does that mean that like Embiid and Simmons work because it worked out? It's like the Percy Harvin thing with the Seahawks, where he brought nothing. They gave up real assets for him. And then it's like, oh, well, you can't make that kind of move and expect to win. And they still won because it didn't really matter. I mean, that's a little bit different. But I think the Brooklyn one would be, hey, Kyrie knew what he was doing all along. When it's like, actually, Kyrie hasn't been great to deal with here. Like, he's an incredible player. But when you bail from the team and you don't tell people when you're leaving, and then I'll hear people stick up for him, I'm like, you know, on the Kyrie topic, it's two groups. It's those with sources that think it's lame and those who don't have sources. And here's
3: the difference between Brooklyn and the Heat teams. LeBron had never won a championship. Wade had never won a championship. Kyrie has a title. Duran has a title. Okay, am I gonna like be you know? It's gonna be heartwarming because James Harden wins a title. Not really. So like, for me, this is just a complete. If if Brooklyn wins, it's just like America is gonna be sitting there like
4: what's the point of this exactly? <laughs> That's my take. Just the tone in your voice is like, I, I'm not even telling you you're wrong. It's just, you're so <laughs> bummed out about it. You're pre depressed about this outcome that I'm, I'm just finding. Well, no, I'm, it no
3: I'll be rooting so hard for all the other, you know, I, listen, I would love to see the Lakers win it. Cause I, I think LeBron going there and winning it again, just to shut some people up would be nice, but listen, I'd be happy with Philly winning it. I'd be happy with
4: Milwaukee winning it. You know, some, some of the new, Yeah, I can't wait because I don't know that we've had a top this deep. And maybe the Lakers embarrass us all again for thinking everybody else has a chance. But – and, you know, I'm not going to forget how terrible they were offensively when the bubble opened up. And I was talking to somebody the other day. They were like, if you were around that team leading up to the playoffs, you would have never thought that team was winning a title. And then Rondo ends up making every shot and they smoke through everybody. And, you know, I wouldn't say it's the murderer's row of of opponents, but – Everybody was down there dealing with the same circumstances, and they just plowed right through everybody. So they deserve all the credit. So I'm not trying to um, diminish the accomplishment at all. But now, in a league that we usually feel like it's it's two or three teams that are legitimately going to win the title, and I yeah. think we were so locked into the Miami years, the Golden State years, and the Cleveland years. I mean, that was almost a decade before it was over and we also were kind of like, oh well, who's everybody's third guy? We were obsessed with who the third guy was because right. of Miami, Golden State, and Cleveland. And then we realized, well, wait a minute, nobody else has a third guy, so maybe the Lakers don't need a third guy. But now the Nets have their third guy. Five, yeah, five right, guy.
3: Right. Well, Blake Griffin has been revitalized.
4: He has, but that was kind of ridiculous. Yeah. And I love Blake for his quote was like, "Hey, I thought I sucked, <laughs> like, and now right, I'm right. awesome." Right. So that was good. Yeah. What is it? Because he yeah. wasn't awesome, but he has been re-energized but he's a role player so
3: there's a comment there about Brooklyn and Detroit but since I'm from New York I don't want to say it because then I'll just be an asshole but you could see you could see why Blake might be revitalized a little bit I don't think Blake Griffin going from LA and dating Kendall Jenner to being stuck in Detroit was was good for him
4: I would think I would think Detroit would have been perfect for him just lock in You know,
3: Blake does not want he's a stand-up comedian he doesn't want to be locked in He's not just a basketball player. No, like there's Griffin. more. Go, there's more going on. He's uh, yeah. he's an impressive guy. Yeah. He really he's is. He's very funny. Yeah, I yeah. mean, like his stand up. It's a famous one on YouTube. Is very funny. Have you have you ever seen it? No, like he but stand up at a. I've got to check it out. It's I'm
4: good. thrown off because I had Nate Bargatze on and I pitched him jokes and it went horrible. So I've just I'm taking a yeah. break from stand up in general. Yeah,
3: it's that's that's another thing I miss, in the, you know that, that I miss that more than ball games too. Is going to a stand-up comedy club. Need to do that soon, without a mask. All right, um, I had to get that in again. I'm so sick of the mask. Well, I'm vaccinated. Um, I appreciate you coming on. Do yeah. you have any? You have any any thoughts you want to get out there before we wrap up? <laughs> Yeah, I feel probably, like I talked a lot too.
4: No, no, I, I, I'm pretty long winded, so I'm used to being solo a lot. That's so good. I, that's uh, good. No, look, there's, there's probably a few things, but we'll, uh, we'll leave those on the table for another day. Save those for another time. Save those for another time. So, All right. well, have fun
3: just talking about sports. Yeah. Let's, let's, you know, stay out of trouble. Yeah. And uh, everything's coming back to normal, so that's good. Out there in California, is it? I mean. Do you feel like things are coming back to normal? Yeah. Because I know for a long time with Newsom, everyone hated all the restrictions. Is it better?
4: Yeah. I mean, it was pretty strict out here for a really long time. I mean, they even closed the beaches for a while, which, you know, people were like, what? Like, I can't. you know. But in the beginning when you didn't really know, like I had no problem with restrictions when people didn't know. And I'm not saying I have. Problem now, look. I just like I said in the beginning, I, I tried not to complain. You know, you yeah, throw yeah. a mask on; it's not that fucking hard. Yeah. Um, and I think what's happening here is is a quicker version of a rollout. So, you know, even a couple of weeks ago, it still felt like pretty much lockdown. And a couple of people wanted to come out and visit, and I was like, look, it's just not. It's it's a great town, and and we can go to the beach, but it, you know, beyond that, it's it's takeout food. You know, and I've only left Manhattan Beach once in a year. So, um, go ahead.
3: No, I was gonna say, let's end with this because it just hit me. I had your old partner SVP on a few weeks ago yeah, and we were talking about our COVID pet peeves, just the societal rules that are going on. And he brought up how he's sick of the one way aisles in the supermarket. He thinks it's time we go back to like (laughs) two way aisles in the supermarket. Give me, what do you have? And we could end it on that. Is there a, and I mentioned how like, you know, I got a target out here by my house where they've it's massive so there's two entrances one on each side and one has been closed during the whole pandemic why can't that entrance be open now i don't understand makes no sense he didn't like the two the one way aisles in the supermarket god i love him orders, i mean if you guys orders.
4: knew if you guys knew how like set in his ways and he is one of my best friends in the world and i'm always proud of both of us cuz we have some real similarities and some also like real differences which was always kind of funny because at the beginning of the show, they were like, are these guys too much alike? And then after a while, they were like, actually, they're pretty different. And yet we saw a lot of the sports things the same way, but we still – whatever. But I'm just telling you, like, being on the road with him and knowing that it's like it has to be this way, just the idea of him being mad about non-two-way aisles in the grocery store, like, I just know how mad he must get for 15 seconds where it's an insane fucking rage which doesn't make any sense. And then even he will go – Okay, and I notice it because I can have those moments too. So yeah. my pet peeve would be very a LA's. couple of
3: days after we taped the pot. I yeah. was in the supermarket and I took a picture of the arrow on the one and I texted it to him and he was he just wrote back like <laughs> atrocious or something. It was pretty funny, but throughout all of this, I've been like, okay, fine,
4: like it's it's one way aisles.
3: Like well, yeah, that, you know, listen, you. Not to complain is a good attitude to have. That's for sure.
4: I didn't have kids drive me crazy. Yeah. I didn't have to homeschool. I don't have a wife that's worried. I I knew, you know, I was lucky. The work part was not going to be something. So I just knew how many other people were struggling, especially in our business. You know what I mean? Like I, it bums me out every time that there's a stretch of people that lose lose their gig, because I don't know. I'm going to get you
3: to. I'm going to get you to complain about
4: something. What about like the gym? I'm going to give you you – no, Well, I i put a squat rack in my garage. So I liked it way more than I thought I was going to like it. But then I was like, dude, you're home. You don't do anything. Like all you're doing <laughs> is, is home is squatting. <laughs> yeah. Right. And then I was like, how come my knees hurt so bad? I was like, Oh, cause you're doing all of this all the time. And I, I went really heavy. Um, I was trying to prove a couple of things to myself at an older age. And I would tell yeah. the people out there, like, don't start trying to push your limits 20 years past your prime. But I'm an idiot. So here's what I'll offer up this. All right. In L.A., it was great. Like, the, when the tournament opened up, you know, those first few days of the NCAA tournament are just awesome. And I had gotten a little run in, and I go, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go get some tacos right by the pier, and I'm going to watch the games. This is unbelievable. Like, I can yeah. sit outside and... And I can just angle it in. Like, I had my spot picked out. I knew where I was going to seat myself. I'm like, this is perfect. I'll even wait for the right seat. I'm going to watch, like, I'm just going to eat some tacos and watch, like, an hour of college basketball. And I'm going to feel normal day. again. This is incredible. And I show up, and there's a line. And I was like, all right, no doubt. Beautiful sunny day here again. Hot spot. And I go, can I get something, you know, towards the TV? And the guy's like, oh, we can't have the TVs on. And I went, what? He goes, yeah, we can't. CDC. Like, we can't have... I was like, what? wait! You can have indoor outdoor seating now, twenty five percent capacity inside, but you can't put the TV on, and it's not because oh, they don't want a congregation. Yeah. Is that why they didn't want a congregation? Oh, come on! So there you go, Jimmy. We got there. We eventually got there for you. I thought I was like oh, that, that would, one feels a little yeah. excessive, and the the, the restaurant yeah, owner was like, "Yeah, yeah I would have went
3: full Larry David if that was if if that was me for sure." Yeah, that's because where's the common sense? That's really what it all comes down to.
4: Yeah, I. Uh, <laughs>
3: I'll I'll leave you with this. I'll leave you with this. TVs are not allowed because of COVID. that's like, you know, cuz like they had the restrictions here where they closed things at 11 and, you know, a lot of the the joke was, you know, to, to, you don't get covid after 11 p.m. like where's the common sense? I
4: think like anything when it's new and it's in the beginning, um and look, the New York Times kind of somebody from the New York Times lit into me cuz of that too. I had a hard time with everybody being a virus expert 2 weeks in. Okay. Oh, well, of so so that was, I was like, look, I'm not telling you I'm not wearing a mask. I'm not telling you I know anything, but why do you think you're an expert on all of this stuff? And I go, there's a very good chance that a couple years removed from this, we're going to look back and say, oh, maybe we could have done this or whatever. But in the meantime, like, I wasn't complaining about anything we had to do. My biggest turnoff was maybe everyone else that I'm like, you know, you went to UMass. Like, when did you, what are you, what did you, right. ma- you majored in political right. science? Like, I, I'm the same as you are. Like, and I'm not pretending, to be like this expert on all this stuff. And that part of social media probably drove me crazy a little bit. But Well, that's
3: like the people now who don't want to get vaccinated. They go, I don't know what's in it. Like, you don't know what's in anything that's in your body. What are you talking about? It's not like food. It's not like any medicine. You don't know what's in the medicine. I know like, what I have you know. inside of
4: me. Desire, passion. That's
3: <laughs> 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 all you need. That's all you need. All right. I appreciate it. It was fun. and uh, I hope so. Take care. Be well. And Thank you. Enjoy the Nets winning the NBA title.
4: I think you're onto something. I think you should rewrite write it absolutely. I want to. I'm going to reach out to you the
3: night they win the title. I'm going to reach out to you. I'm going to ask you how you feel about it. All right, so good. Can. I want you to All just
4: right. tell everybody how pre miserable you are on this one. I am. I'm very. There's no unless they lose.
3: All right. Take care, Ryan. Appreciate Thank it. You.
5: Don't spend another night dreaming of better sleep. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com forward slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. That's l-e-e-s-a.com forward slash iHeart. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details.
3: All right, joining me now, one of the actors from one of my all-time favorite shows, The Office, Kevin Malone. He is now a podcast extraordinaire when it comes to the office Brian Baumgartner Brian how's it going it's going great how are you I'm well I hope you don't mind this. I know this is really douchey but I wore a boom roasted
6: shirt for the pod. <laughs> roasted I, I have nice. the Dunder
3: Mifflin shirt that every office fan has but you know I figured something a little different
6: the blue, the blue the blue one the blue Dunder Mifflin shirt
3: yep and I thought about I thought about doing the pod in the Dunder Mifflin robe that I have Oh. Of course, now I can't. We're on YouTube here. If you're listening, this is a terrible experience, but I can't find the logo. Unbelievable. This is terrible. Oh, there it is. There it is. The robe that is. you guys got every year, but I avoided the robe. I, I thought that would be too embarrassing.
6: Well, I, not for me. Maybe maybe for you.
3: Did you guys get to keep those robes when you got them as part of the show?
4: Um,
6: you know, no. Yes, some corporate we those yeah no we had to we had to give those back I think that was one of those well we might need to use them again and of course we never did um no but we we definitely have a lot of Dunder Mifflin swag but I don't know I I I don't I don't ever wear it which is a shame because I have some really cool nice stuff some hats and sweatshirts and but I don't know it kind of feels like if you're a professional athlete like wearing your jersey or something like look at me this is what i wear when i work i don't know i i I usually don't do it
3: i think it's one of those things like you can you can do it once on some special occasion i think it would go viral and people would get a huge you can't do it regularly i think that's that might be the issue there
6: yeah i was i did see um i actually posted this on social media because i found it so funny i was at the airport and had this very strange experience where there was a group of people clearly meeting someone that were all wearing Scott's Tots shirts, like, like that looked like the Scott's Tots shirts from the show. And they had all these signs. And I was like, did I draw? I think I drove my own car here. Why are <laughs> they all like, what is, because they, they were all coming? sort of innocuous, just office related signs. But a bunch, like I don't know, 10, 12 people. And I just kind of walked by them looking and I was like, yeah, they're clearly meeting someone else. And then I posted cause I thought how funny that they had no idea that I was watching them. And that that's month.
3: outstanding. That is outstanding. You know, you mentioned a lot of Dunder Mifflin swag, you know, I I, I don't have knowledge of it I, I, because I'm not that smart, but the whole memorabilia thing has exploded over the pandemic and, um you know not just cards trading cards have exploded but all memorabilia now like you might have something there that you know could uh be worth some good bucks
6: oh some oh some old dunder mifflin memorabilia yeah there there is some stuff you know i don't know i i they released some bobbleheads of mm-hmm. us and i know it was probably from my mom buying like all the available bobbleheads or something But my original Bobblehead, which they had sold as limited edition, sold out very quickly uh, for whatever reason. Mine did. And so NBC was like, hmm, I guess we have to do a totally different one. So it's like one of them I was holding M&Ms and one, something else, whatever. But I have a few of those. just, And I don't even know what I'm going to do with them. I don't have them up in my house. But I don't know. Maybe someday we'll do something for charity.
3: Um. Yeah, it's cra- The memorabilia thing has exploded over the course of during the pandemic. So, um, you know, the original teapot or the original Dundee, I mean, I'm sure that stuff could get a ton of money. Um, right, right. I mentioned you, you, um, you're currently hosting the Office Deep Dive podcast. You previously hosted the Oral History of the Office. And I want to get into all that. But you are a big sports fan. This is the Sports Illustrated yes. Media Podcast. You, if I'm not mistaken, are good friends with Aaron Rodgers. The biggest story in all of sports right now is Aaron Rodgers. How did you first find out he was unhappy in Green Bay? Was it with the rest of us before the draft or did? I don't want you to give personal details, but did you have a hint he was unhappy in Green Bay? How did it come about for you?
6: Um, Look, I think that if you were following this closely at all, listen how I'm going to answer your question by not answering it. Um, (laughs) You know, I think that green Bay set a situation up um, by the pick in their draft last year. And that was a decision that however you look at it, I think anyone in that building now realizes that that was not a good decision. And, And I say that simply because of how rookie contracts work. Like at a certain point, you have a guy who has said he wants to play and clearly by definition, he had an MVP season last year that he's not going to, to want to, that he's going to want to continue playing uh, beyond when you must start playing the guy that you've drafted just based on how rookie contracts work. And so that decision last year put a series of things in motion that is where we are today. And I think that, you know, some decision has to be made. And they elected, they being the Packers, elected or no decision was made this off season until this point. And I think if you examine all of those factors, what's going on right now, it should not be surprising. You have a guy who wants to play and essentially the situation as it currently stands in Green Bay is that he will not be playing by their choice. He will not be playing in Green Bay his entire career. And as soon as you put that together, you're not going to be playing here your whole career. Well, then I think you're you're forced to look at other options.
3: What's interesting about that, though, is this was the case before last season. And then, of course, he has the MVP season team goes to the NFC title game. So I think fans are maybe having a little trouble with the timing of it.
6: Well, um, I mean, I can't I can't speculate about right. any of that. Um, but I think that, you know, people are. Um, first of all, I think at least and maybe it's just the ones that have talked to me. I think that fans um, who are have seemed uh, remarkably understanded, uh, understanding of, of his side of the position just based on all the information. I think, you know, people want to equate it to the Brett Favre situation and talk about that that being the culture in Green Bay. I, I think that there are some uh, distinct differences that, that exist then and now, which um, the primary one <laughs> being uh, the year before – uh, or, or the year that the draft pick was made, they made the NFC Championship game, and based on everybody's opinion, they just needed a couple of pieces um, to, at that point, uh, supplant the 49ers. Now, the 49ers obviously had a ton of injuries, and they were decimated this last year, so they were kind of not, not in the running, but that, I think that's a distinct difference. That if what you if you're in the business of winning championships and you are that close in that moment, don't you go for it. That's at least, you know, I was just talking to somebody about a different subject. If you make a decision in sports, and let's just say you're at a sports bar, you're at a, a gathering with people who are fans of multiple teams, or if 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 teams are if one team is playing another team and you there are fans of both teams there. When other people think that the decision that you made, fans of other teams think the decision that you made, they're happy about that, then you probably made the wrong decision. And my guess is is that the teams who were close this last year or before when the Packers made the decision they did in the first round of the draft last year, the other teams were probably pretty happy about it.
3: Yeah. Yeah, it was it ended up becoming a very complicated situation. Um do you do you think he'd actually retire? I mean it, it here's the thing. He hasn't spoken publicly about any of this. He did acknowledge uh at the Kentucky Derby on Saturday to Mike Drego of NBC that he was upset that the rift got out and became made public. The reports are that he is not under any circumstances going to be a Green Bay Packer. September 2021 when the season kicks off do you think he'd actually retire i mean because he's still in the you know has great years left
6: i can't speculate on the reports that are out there that i have i have no idea
3: yeah i don't want you to tell me if whatever he has said but does he do you have that relationship with him where he's talking to you about the situation
6: we talk on occasion about what's going on in our lives right right um but you know i i i i can't speculate or comment on the specifics of stories that have come out that aren't verified by him or anybody else.
3: Kind of cool though, that you're in on the ground floor of this whole
6: mess. Well, I, 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 you know, I, I, obviously we have a long relationship at this point. Now I, you know, I care about him and, and ultimately want the best for him. And, you know, I, 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 you know, I think the thing, the thing that really I can speculate about or, or I can comment about is just, I, 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 well, look, I think that as I said before, I think that people that are in, what is it? One packer way or whatever in the offices at Lambeau field. I, I think that the decision that was made last year was not a good decision. So right. what, what, how, what happens from that decision? That was not good. Someone yeah. has to admit that a really bad decision was made. I mean, you don't draft a quarterback if you have, have the current MVP. Right.
3: Well, but at that time, he wasn't that he went on to have an MVP a year after that, which I mean, think shows you, you know, he was able to really, you know, put any anger aside and then have the year he had. So, you know, listen, the flip side of that argument is isn't it time he got over the fact that the Packers drafted Jordan Love? I don't, you know, I'm not a pro athlete, so it's hard for me to say, like, if that's, you know, you'd think, listen, MVP, NFC title game, you have Devontae Adams, you, you have a good running back and Aaron Jones, like, let's load it up and go for it again. I see that argument and I could see, you know, Rodgers. I don't think it's out of line for him to want, you know, one of the rumors is he wants some input into personnel. I think that's fine when you're a quarterback that good. I think you should have some input, but Got a lot of time to see how this plays out because you know season doesn't start for, for where are we May, so we got right.
6: four more I months. Mean, the, yeah. the the one thing the one thing that I would say again to to circle back to what I kind of already said before, I think that the idea uh, or the speculation that all of this is about him being mad that they dra- like he should get over that mm. I, I don't I really don't view it as that I think okay. I view it I think I view it as. The Packers are in a position where, based on that draft pick, they have to make a decision. I mean, right? They have to make a decision. Or they've literally wasted their their first-round pick. So they have to make a decision, and no decision has been made, which means that the Packers are signaling that he will not be there as long as he wants to keep playing. Which, by the way, Tom left – Joe left. Everybody leaves. You know, Brett left. Yeah. I mean, th- that happens. But once that happens, once that decision is made, then, you know, they, they have to they have to figure it out.
3: Yeah. Did your friendship with Aaron Rodgers start when he did the guest spot on The Office or were, did you know him before that?
6: No, we were friends before that. Oh, OK. Oh, that's interesting.
3: Did you help get him that guest spot that he did? <laughs> Actually, in yes,
6: I did. Yes. And we, we discussed that. Uh, he came on. Uh, he came on the podcast the office deep dive. We did a, we did a special fan episode on our, our sweet 16th, uh, the anniversary of our, the pilot premiering. Right. We had uh, a, a bunch of other guests on uh, talking about the show and yeah, he, he and I became friends um, the summer before he started as the, the starting quarterback of the Packers.
3: Oh, okay. Um, so you guys go back away back then.
6: So, yeah. So we've known each other now uh, for for a long time and yeah. uh it was it was fun it, the the that script specifically was scripted as a uh as a, a professional athlete as a judge and there was someone else who was uh who, who was scripted in there and we did the table read and i i went to uh our producers and i was like hey you know aaron rogers is a big fan of the show i don't know if you would want and they were like oh can we get can we so, yes, I, I I served as a casting director on the show for one role in one episode.
3: Sweet. <laughs> so, so was another athlete cast already? No. Then,
6: oh, no, they okay. had a and, – and I, and I actually don't I, – I don't actually know the answer. Like, um, I don't know if it was random. I remember – Uh, And I remember telling him who it was. There was an athlete that had just been scripted. I don't know if that was just a placeholder or if somebody had the idea of this other person, but yes,
3: I give him credit though, because, and this isn't a knock on the show in any way, shape or form, but I feel like a lot of the diehard superstar fans have come when the show had its run on Netflix and Rogers obviously was there from the NBC days. So props to him for that. Um, Yeah. What, you know, The show, you know, on Twitter, it's just, you know, there's not a minute that goes by where there isn't some tweet about the office. Who has been, give me some one or two celebrities that you found out are big fans of the office. That's kind of blew you away. Obama. (laughs) That's a good one. What now? How did that come about? Is there a story there about how
1: you found out?
6: I can't remember. I think a letter may have been sent to Greg Daniels. I think he mentioned to me, he may have a letter, uh, of his. Um, I remember actually, and this was not Obama. I can't remember when that, when that came about. Um, but I'm a, a big fan of, and, I, and and don't really know. I've met him now subsequent to this, but Aaron Sorkin, I'm a huge fan of his and the West wing and all of his movies and his writing. He's great. He actually very early on. Um, I never actually, uh, this is a story I have never told. I don't know if others have, he wrote like a beautifully written love letter to the show and what we were doing and, and what we created. And that, um, was posted to the wall. Uh, there were some other pictures of people, you know, almost like a, uh, you know, a scrapbook and a yearbook or whatever, you know, pictures of crew members and cast, you know, different places or whatever. But that, that letter was posted there. Um, for quite a while. And uh, I, I read that multiple times. Um, a lot of the sports guys, I mean, that's how, you know, I, I may have told you this story before, but I, I always sort of joke, like, I'm a, I'm a fan of cocktails and I'm a fan of charity, but the whole like charity cocktail party circuit, that wasn't really my thing. Right. I, I I that sort of just, you know, flippant conversation or what, you know, casual brief exchanges. And so really how I really got into golf in a way I loved golf, but I started doing like, uh, charity golf tournaments and feeling like the connection that I could make with, you know, the three or four people in my foursome for charity was just way more valuable and way more fun for me doing an activity and doing that. And then I started getting invited to like the American century championships in, in Lake Tahoe, which is like where I met Aaron. Um, but, uh, you know, Steph Curry was a big fan of the show, um, you know, and a lot of retired athletes as well. They are either fans of the show or their kids, their, you know, older kids are fans of the show or they watched with their older kids. So, you know, that for me is is really fun guys in yeah. the in the sports world who are are fans of the show. And I've gotten to know because of that.
3: You mentioned a little bit a few minutes ago about the anniversary of the pilot was recent uh a couple of weeks ago i was i write a daily column press and i'm very lucky in that i get to do some stuff outside of sports and i always try to find a, a video an anniversary something like that and i'm just doing it friday morning and i came across the fact that it was the anniversary of the famous chili opening scene Yes, were you, were you aware friday was an anniversary for that
6: you know y- Yes. Only because someone contacted me because they were writing like a, uh, my, my office or my podcast is called the office deep dive. And uh, this reporter wanted to do a deep dive into that episode and sort of how it was constructed. And so I, I found out um, that, that that was last Friday, but I, the the funny thing is, is there's a meme that circulates and I think it just, circulates every once in a while. Uh, I don't know if you've seen it, but it's like, you know, 10 years ago today, this happened, you know, the right. was spilled or something. <laughs> a picture of it. Yeah. I think it just kind of recirculates on random days, so I'd never really put together when it was, but yes, yeah. I, I heard that that just happened.
3: One of the things I find interesting about The Office is, as a diehard viewer, um, who's seen the episodes repeatedly, is, you know, sometimes you don't realize, at least I don't, the Opening scene, which is you know a staple of the office, and like what episode it connects. Like I didn't realize the chili was with Casual Friday, which is a great episode in and of itself. I mean, just seeing everyone come to the office in their casual clothes was was really great. So like you don't realize those are connected sometimes, which is which is interesting.
6: Right. I mean, that was when eventually when we feel like we found the form of the show, like how it worked the best, that we were going to start. Um, you know, with a, with a, we called it the cold open, right? Like we just, the show starts, we start and we're in something. And the idea was, you know, the narrative on the show is so important, not only, you know, to the writers, not only within the episode, but often on the office, there are, we call them like mini arcs. So like three, four, five, six episodes together together, michael scott's paper company or idris elba coming in as boss or you know whatever all of these different things um, that would exist like that and the cold open just allowed uh, and part of the form was in general uh an episode exists in one day right so the day starts and the day is over at the end of the episode not all but but a lot um And what the cold opens allowed us to do was just, you know, we were always in different clothes. So it wasn't supposed to confuse anybody that it was a different. I was always a big thing, especially if we were shooting little segments back and forth. Got to go change clothes, could change back. Um, But that that was just a moment that existed outside of the narrative. So a lot of the uh, Jim and uh, Jim and Dwight pranks Mm -hmm. happened. Right. Like Dwight's desk goes and is set up in the bathroom at one point or is made of uh, wrapping paper or, you know, whatever. So not have to tie in what is some, or the chili, a big physical gag that would have to exist throughout the rest of the the narrative of the episode. Just because remove that.
3: Logically. How do you, all of you guys start your work day in the office when the carpet is covered in chili?
6: That's correct. <laughs>
3: <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean that, I mean, there's not a day that goes by where I don't see that GIF. It's pretty crazy. Um, yeah. I, so with the office deep dive, how is that different from the oral history of the office? I know on the deep dive, you do have a castmate or or producer or someone from the show. You do an interview on each episode, but what any other differences between the two? The current one is the office deep dive. For those of you who haven't checked it out yet, you should tell us about that.
6: Yeah. Well, it's, uh, it's actually really, really simple. We, um, we decided to put together a podcast, which was the oral history of The Office. And I, the idea was, if you haven't heard that, um, it's great, but also it's it's edited up. We're telling a story. So starting at the beginning and going through to today, like, and really examining why the show is today the most watched show in television, including new shows, like by every metric that you can figure out, streaming and otherwise. And really the second... Place show isn't very close uh, based on the numbers. And so we were really examining how the show was constructed, put together, casts that were hired, writers that were brought in. Like, why were all of those decisions? How have they contributed to where the office now stands today? This was just an interesting question to me. It was as simple as that. And the idea was to go back and talk to as many people as possible. We'll do these interviews and we'll cut them up and tell the whole story. So, in, in one 40 minute Episode, you hear from I don't know 20 people or whatever, right, right? Well, you know, we sat down. The very first interview that I did for that was with Rain Wilson, and every and him, not just him, but a lot of people. Um, what I found was they were so enthusiastic and interested and engaged in exploring this question. And going back now, that it's been seven, eight years. And really, you know, Steve Carell, 10 years since he's been on the show and really talk about it, like really like talked in depth about it. So the first interview I did was with Rain Wilson. It was over two hours. And I went like, I'm doing the math. I'm not great at math. Like, that's <laughs> a kind of a joke. But I, I'm going like, OK, we're doing we're telling the story in 12 episodes that are 40 minutes each like how much of this interview is going to be in this story as we're telling the story right 20 minutes like like there's just not there's not that much time and so immediately what i said was well we've got people will, this these are amazing like what people are saying and sometimes we go off topic a lot of times it's the humor like jokes that we're making right. banter between us doesn't really fit when we're having a very small amount of time to tell just the story of the office. So we decided very quickly, okay, well, when we, we when we finished telling the story, we're going to go back and we're going to release the interview. So people can, can really hear from these people. Um, you know, I talked for a really long time with Steve Carell, who we had not spoken, you know, who, yeah. who does not speak about the show very often. Right. Like, it doesn't do a justice to the amount of time he gave. Plus this information is people want to hear this. So that is why we have the office deep dive, which is, yeah, it is, it is, we are doing some new interviews as well. People we couldn't get before because of the pandemic or, right. uh, you know, out of town uh, shooting or whatever. So, so there are n- new quote unquote, but they're all new for everybody um, because we're, you're hearing stuff that you, you haven't heard before.
3: Uh, it's, it's great. Cause one, one of the things I love is that, you know, I get the impression a lot of times in TV, sometimes actors don't like to harp on past shows that they've done and anytime i see someone from the office do an interview you know they're on late night like kimmel or whatever you know the, the, you guys also genuinely seem to just be so positive about it and don't mind talking about it which i like as a fan um so that's good to see so you get all those interviews on brian's uh, office deep dive podcast so check that out one thing i'm curious about i'm always curious about this with tv i'm a big seinfeld guy curb guy and Larry David and Jerry talk about this often I'm curious with the office when you guys first started I don't know how it evolved throughout the years once you know you established yourselves but I'm fascinated by like the networks getting involved with notes and you should do this you shouldn't you know I know you know Jerry always says that NBC wanted Jerry and Elaine to be a couple on the show is there anything you could tell us I don't know you know how involved you are as the actor in terms of the producers get the notes, the actors get the notes, but is there anything NBC early on didn't like wanted to see what was like feedback like from that standpoint?
6: Well, uh, I mean, this might be a slightly cynical view, but, or not cynical, but you know, we were such a ratings disaster and (laughs) the expectation for the show early on was, this show is very short-lived, right? Um, and I think there was always a thinking, a thought that nobody wanted to get maybe too invested in it because it was there, there might be some stink that, that emulated from them. Um, I mean, that's not entirely true or entirely fan, uh, fair. There were network executives that were around that were a part of it. Most specifically, Kevin Riley, who fought dramatic. I mean, he's now our hero. I interview him on the show. We all love Kevin because without him fighting for us at the network, um, on the, the upper echelons of the network, mm-hmm. we never would have survived. I believe that totally. But in terms of, like, getting noted to death, um, you know, Greg, Greg might have a different answer. But I, I think we were we were left alone to a large degree. And then as the show became popular, I think, one, Greg had really established himself as the leader and the visionary for the show that was so different. And I imagine there was a feeling of, well, we got it to this point now. Why are you getting involved now? Now, I know there were big, big conversations uh, at, at certain points, most famously being the network really want we, we aired after the Super Bowl, which was right. super cool for me as a football fan. Um, airing after the Super Bowl, they were like, "You have to have a big star on the show." And at that point, we didn't have big stars on the show. You know, other than the ones who were on the show who would become big stars, <laughs> we didn't bring in big stars. Right. It was like, "Why is this person in Scranton, Pennsylvania?" That makes no sense. Um, later on, things changed a little bit, um, but. At that time, there was a huge need. Like it's a, it's the post Super Bowl. You got to have Brad Pitt or somebody show up at Thunder Mifflin, um, and they creatively figured out a way to have uh, a couple mm-hmm. of comedy legends on there. But but they never appeared at Thunder Mifflin. So some things like that. But I think they, uh, by and large, kept out of the way. And part of that also, in closing about that, is that we were we were filming at a very small independent studio in the middle of the valley had we been on the nbc universal lot um that may have been different as well. yeah but it was a it was a car ride away deep into the valley um to get to us and so uh, most people didn't
3: i'm smiling throughout your answer because that episode after the super bowl stress relief is my all-time favorite office episode yeah. and ended with boom roasted so it all comes full circle yeah um what do you make you know there's this trend which i know i just i don't get it but of going back and either editing out some scenes that don't fly now but we're fine you know 15 20 years. i mean i think even comedy central i don't i they don't air the Benny Hanna christmas episode anymore mm. because there's some stuff in there it's all been out there it's on DVD, it aired on NBC, it's been on... And now some of the stuff gets cut out. As someone in the show, what do you feel about that?
6: Well, I think that... I think that's... Uh, I think that's PC gone awry. I think that's uh, taking wokeness a little too far. I mean, that that's my view. I, because I think what... I think it's really dangerous to say you can't say something. And because, look, not Steve Carell, Michael Scott, would. this is an example, mm-hmm. would say really inappropriate things that a reasonable person today would say, you can't say that, right? You can't say that. However, this is 15 or 20 years ago. And when he would say something inappropriate, they, the camera would pan around to the office and everyone would be delivering the message. You can't say that. Right. You can't say that. And so a character is saying something that is inappropriate, but everyone is telling us that that's inappropriate. The reason that it's written that way is to show that you should not talk that way. Right. And so right. by saying... A character in television can't speak in a certain way or do a certain thing, even if you're explaining why that's bad, that makes no sense to me. Right. I'll give you another example because now I'm on a roll. Well, the, the You know, we had to do a sexual harassment seminar for NBC every year. We had to do a sexual harassment seminar. And there were people from NBC universal who would come from HR and do a sexual harassment seminar with cast crew, everybody on the show. That was a mandated thing. They would show clips from the office to show what not to do to us. And so, but the point is, is that it's very meta. It is a teaching lesson though, right? Like it is doing that. And I think in conclusion, I used to, they're used to uh, my parents, friends, there were some friends of my parents, they couldn't watch The Office. Oh, he's just too terrible. He's oh what he said, it's just Ugh. too uncomfortable. Yeah. And I said, I remember saying to my mom, do they do they watch CSI? Oh, yeah, they watch see it. they watch CSI. I was like, okay, okay. So seeing a half naked, sometimes fully naked, young woman lying in the desert murdered, which is how most episodes began, is totally fine to see. However, hearing a boss at a paper company say something that maybe hits a little too close to home makes you uncomfortable. There's something culturally wrong about that. No,
3: and what I hate about it, and this is, I guess, on me more than anyone. I hate now sometimes when I watch the show, and I'm watching it, and I go, "Oh, they that would that would they couldn't do that today. They couldn't do that. That's not how I want to watch it." You know, to me, one of the great one of the great scenes is when Pam shows up one morning with glasses on and. Michael Scott's like, Pam, you don't look hot at all with glasses. You're not even trying anymore. That that would cause like you know such a panic in this country these days. And it's like, like you said, that's on the Michael Scott character. I don't know why we need to go back. You know, it, it's been done. That's what I don't like about it. I get you know you want to n- not do any of that stuff now. It totally makes sense, obviously. It's, but it happened already. So what does taking it out do? That's what I, that's what I can't grasp. Yeah, but. That's a downer to end on. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I don't want to end on a downer. Give me, you know, I don't have. Have you seen when the pandemic first started? You know, there were a lot of people who tried to do like, you know, what would the office be like during the pandemic? What would Seinfeld? And I'm thinking about I was thinking about this when I was thinking about something to ask, you know, the office could do a great episode with Michael Scott with the vaccine. (laughs) <laughs> and Michael trying to get an appointment, Michael trying to convince maybe an anti-vaxxer in the office. I mean, have you checked out any of that stuff that's gone on over the past year? Like on YouTube, there's some pretty funny things where they clip together. There's one I know I saw where they clip together. Uh, Dwight had a lot of lines that fit into pandemic life, and it, it it made for a good video.
6: Yes. No, there was certainly a lot of that stuff. And I, I think some of my favorite speculation would have been what would an office episode have looked like. I don't know that we could have done a season. Right. What an, what an episode would have looked like with everybody working from home. Uh, I think that we could have had some fun with that. For what sure. would
3: Kevin, what would Kevin do during a, would Kevin be, would Kevin get the vaccine? Would he need someone to explain to him why he should get the vaccine?
6: Well, he would probably definitely needed someone to uh, explain this is off the top of my head. <laughs> uh, someone to explain to him exactly why he should get the vaccine and, uh, then likely someone like Pam explaining to him that once he got it, he would be given a cookie. I think he probably would have been there.
3: That's per- per- perfect. That's a much better ending to this podcast because <laughs> that actually makes sense. Um, I appreciate you coming on. Um, right, thanks, it's the office deep dive podcast, lengthy interviews with old cast members and behind the scenes people. Uh, I su- Apple, Spotify, it's on everything. I assume everywhere,
6: wherever you get your podcast. Perfect.
3: All right. yeah. Thanks a lot, Brian. Appreciate it. Thanks, Jimmy. Stay safe. All right. That wraps it up. Big, big episode, long episode. Hope you stuck around for it. Hope you enjoyed it. Give me some feedback on Twitter. If you uh, listened, would love to hear what you guys thought of both guests. Had a lot of fun. And uh, my thanks to Ryan Russillo and Brian Baumgartner. If you're not a subscriber, if this is your first time listening or your periodical listener, if you could subscribe, that helps tremendously. Hit the subscription button for the SI Media Podcast and check out some past episodes in the archives. Last week, John O'Ran and Akeep Tlaib was a good show. Two weeks ago, Anand Verk talking about getting the job as Monday Night Raw play-by-play man and having a, a career after ESPN was very good. So check those out in the archives and uh, please, again, subscribe. Right, again, thanks to Ryan Silla, Brian Baumgartner. Thanks to you for listening. We'll see you next week right here on the SI Media Podcast. Stay safe. Take care.